It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them all? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. And my name is Don Crawford, Jr., the owner of KWAM Radio and the co-host of this estate planning essentials program, judiciously seeking to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I say hello to Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. It's warming up out there, getting toasty, and um, it's a good time to get outside, and it's a great time to start to have in-person workshops again, I would say, especially estate planning essential workshops. Yeah, and I look forward to also uh, doing these radio shows back uh, back at the station as well. Yes. So uh, I'm glad we're getting back to uh, hopefully normal. Exactly, yeah. There's nothing like in-person and face-to-face, even though we've been doing this uh, pretty successfully over the telephone the last two years, ever since the pandemic started. Um, but um, we look forward to that as well. Um, today, Michael, we want to talk about home transfers and transferring interests in a home and lots of exceptions that are made when it comes to things like that. It's very complicated, but it's very applicable because so many of our listeners own their homes. And normally, most homeowners have a mortgage to purchase their home, or okay. we call it a deed of trust in Texas. But the lender you know, wants some security that they lent money to you and they want to make sure that if you don't pay, that um, they can foreclose on the property, and they base things on your credit. So they have a what's called, an, uh, as far as an event of default, a due-on-sale clause. You have to get the lender's consent, generally, before you could make any kind of transfer. Mm-hmm. However, there are there is a federal law that has some exceptions, so I thought I'd go over that today. Uh, just because most people are not aware of it. First, I thought I'd tell you why they did it. A long time ago, probably 60 years ago or so, uh, you know, people were making transfers of their property to somebody else who didn't have as good a credit. Okay, well, you know, so if you saw a homeless person at the corner of um, Central and Forest or wherever, and you decided, well, it's Easter time, I'm going to just, I'm going to, what I'm going to do this is a since it's a holiday, I'm just going to just give my home uh, subject to the mortgage to the uh, homeless person. Well, the lender's not going to like that because they're going to say, gee, um, we base things on your credit and not the homeless person's credit, and therefore we could call the note. And that makes perfect sense. Sure. But then uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, there was high inflation even higher than it is today. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and so what was happening was any kind of transfer, if somebody leased their property, if they did 
anything uh, anything remotely considered a transfer, they would uh, try to renegotiate the loans. You know, interest rates rise uh, with inflation generally, and as we'll see here probably, too, that interest rates are probably rising, that as interest rates rise, they could get a higher interest rate, uh, and of course, then there may need to renegotiate the loan. There might be other fees. And so what was happening was the banks were uh, forcing people to renegotiate uh, during those high inflation times. Remember, whip inflation now and things like that. And so during the Reagan era, uh, there was a federal law change uh, in 1982 called the Saint Germain, the Garn Saint Germain Act. Uh, Jake Garn and a guy named St. Germain uh, had a, a bill that was passed and signed by President Reagan that had these exceptions to the law because the banks were basically forcing renegotiations all the time. Uh, and so they said, well, there's got to be some exceptions to that. There was actually nine exceptions to the law. The first one would be the creation of a subordinate lien. Uh, mortgage, uh, as long as the borrower still has the right to occupy the property. So let's say, um, you know, right now, people are buying homes for more than what the even the property tax statements say or what the appraised value may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like they're, you're hearing stories all the time about people who say there's more than one bidder because there's a shortage of homes. And they might ask or may pay more than what the asking price is. And then the uh, seller of the home has to decide who it's going to be. And uh, a lot of times the lenders, however, say, well, the value of the home is only worth X, and we're only going to let you borrow a certain amount based on the value of the home as we've appraised it. So, so they may have a loan, but there may be need to be a second loan uh, for the difference over the over the, uh, let's say, even the asking price or whatever the fair market value as determined by the lender that they're right. only willing to tax. So the law is now that you could have, or has been since 1982, that you can have a second mortgage on your property without having to repay the first lender, the first lien holder, the lender, from having the note recalled or, or having uh, a renegotiation of your loan. Interesting. The second one is, let's say uh, you bought that home and you say, you know what? I need to get some Viking appliances. Viking's a high-end uh, home in, home household appliances or mm-hmm. some, some sort of uh, appliances uh, that you want in your home. Well, go to um, favorite uh, appliance store, whatever it may be. And they say, okay, well, we'll give you good terms. We'll let you borrow against your home uh, to purchase that new washer and dryer or refrigerator or whatever it may be, uh, subject to the first lien uh, that you had when you borrowed from the bank to purchase your home. Mm -hmm. So they they can't just because you go to um, NFM and (laughs) and buy, uh, uh, you know, some new appliances uh, and have a loan against your home, the first lien holder, the bank, uh, who has the first mortgage or deed of trust on your property, cannot foreclose on the property just because you bought or borrowed to buy some home appliances. 
The third one is transfers by devise, devise uh, like by a will. So, uh, you know, let's say I want my, in your will, you say, I want my home to go to this particular child. Well, so the child inherits the home subject to the mortgage or subject to the deed of trust. So if they inherit the property, they can't foreclose. Of course, the kid still has to make the mortgage payments, but they can't foreclose just because uh, that the child receives the property uh, by a device or whoever it is that receives it by a device. You'll often see in the events of default in the deed of trust, it often says things, though, like if you make a, if you die, it's an event of default. <laughs> mm. there are, there are, and so you'll have to look at the, uh, the language of the, when you buy a home uh, or any other residential property. It's not just technically the home, uh, but generally most people have a home. Uh, you'll see in the events of default, it's common to say, oh, if you uh, make any kind of transfer, whether it be uh, by lease or into a trust or in or if you die, or if you declare bankruptcy, or whatever, uh, that we could call the note. But the federal law, of course, supersedes the document, and so you have to look at it. Sometimes you want to say different things, and we'll get into transfers into a trust in a minute, but uh, there, are the, there are the exceptions to the law, and you have to, uh, it's, it's really, if somebody gives you a problem, well, you just have to know what the law is. Uh, so transfers by a device, by a will. Not everybody has a will, of course. Somebody, some people have uh, nothing at all. Uh, so if they have, let's say they they had somebody had a parent had a home and it went to their child, uh, and by laws of intestacy. By the way, how do you transfer that home by laws of intestacy? Well, it depends on what your other assets are and if there's any other debts. A lot of times you could get by what's called an affidavit of heirship. You have to say in the affidavit that there are no debts other than that which is secured by real estate, which this would be. So if there were other debts, you may have to go through an heirship determination. Mm. Uh, but a lot of times a title company will accept an affidavit of heirship if that's the only only debt. Right. Uh, otherwise, you know, you don't want to have to go through the lengthy process of having an airship determination where there could be a lot of court supervision, people fighting, having to determine who the heirs, attorney for the unknown heirs. It could be a very complicated process and or time-consuming process and costly process as a result. So obviously everybody should have a will or a trust. Of course, uh, uh, if you have a trust, uh, that also can have a device of a home subject to a mortgage uh, to whoever the beneficiary may be. So if you have a home in a trust with a mortgage on it, then also that is an exception. Uh, you still have to make the, the whoever the beneficiary still has to make those note payments. Right. But they won't. They can't call the note just because uh, either the property is transferred by device or dissent laws of intestacy uh, or by operation of law. Okay. One would be if you have a lease that's less than three years, even if you renew the lease. I guess they didn't really want, when they did the law, they didn't want to have somebody with a 99-year lease or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, because it may look like it's ownership 
uh, transferring ownership. So as long as the lease is less than three years, uh, then even if it's renewed, uh, so if you have your home and you decide to lease it out uh, for less than three years, the lender, notwithstanding something that may be in the event of default uh, for the due on sale clause, that they cannot call the note or try to renegotiate or foreclose on the property just because you have a lease if it's less than three years. Hmm. The fifth one would be if you transfer to a relative uh, resulting from your debt. Uh, so it could be uh, not just inheritance. A lot of times there's other types of ways to convey property. So you have life estate deeds. A life estate deed says, upon my death, the property that I own, I retain the rights to my property during my life, but upon my death, the property goes to, let's say, a child again. Mm-hmm. So there are, there's actually a few different types of these types of deeds. Uh, there's a, I'll call it a regular life estate deed, where it just says, I have the right to live at my home for my life, and it goes to child upon death. Uh, that's a life estate deed, but we've talked on many shows before about ladybird deeds, which are enhanced life estate deeds. Uh, an enhanced life estate deed means that not only do you retain the right to live there for life, but you retain the right to sell, mortgage, lease, uh, in fact, change your mind on who the beneficiaries may be. Uh, we do that. Why would you do that? Uh, when you just have a regular life estate, these, there's a transfer of a portion of the interest for Medicaid, um, that might result in a transfer penalty uh, if it's done within five years of applying for long-term care Medicaid, where they help pay for uh, either nursing home care costs or care at home. Uh, so you want to make sure that if you're, uh, and why do you do that also? Uh, a lady birthday because if you have a property that goes by will or intestacy, if it goes by your will, then the government has a right to make a claim against the home after your death to the extent that they the benefits that they paid out. So if they paid out a hundred thousand dollars worth of nursing home bills, the state would have a right to make a claim for repayment against your home for a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, and that could be whether you're at the nursing home or it could be that they pay some caregiver to come to the home plus medications. So it could really add up uh, as the longer you you get care. So if you had some sort of dementia, it could be a long time. And uh, so anyway, most people want to save the home for their family. Uh, and so it's often that you do one of these ladybird deeds, especially, uh, if uh, you're going to be applying for Medicaid soon or if you're already on Medicaid. Uh, if you had done the life estate deed that was not a ladybird deed more than five years earlier, that'd be fine. But if you hadn't, then uh, it's a good idea to save the home for your family because most people want to protect their assets for their family. Uh, by the way, you could do that even after you're on Medicaid as long as you do it before somebody dies. And sometimes we use powers of attorney to do that uh, if the power of attorney grants that authority. And if you do have a financial power of attorney, it has to be recorded in the county where the property is located to be able to do that. By the way, you can't use a power of attorney on a 
transfer on death deed, which is another type of deed that would go to uh, potentially to a relative uh, upon your death. That also works for Medicaid estate recovery. Uh, we've talked on prior shows on the differences between a ladybird deed and a transfer on death deed. Uh, one of those differences is that a ladybird deed, uh, you can use a power of attorney uh, to do the deed, whereas you can't do that on a transfer on death deed. And furthermore, a transfer on death deed cannot be recorded after death, whereas a ladybird deed could. A transfer on death deed has no warranties. However, a transfer on death deed, you could have contingent beneficiaries. Well, lots of different things. Anyway, the bottom line is if you have a transfer uh, to a relative resulting from your death by a deed like that, uh, then uh, any one of those type of deeds, they can't call the note. So if you have a mortgage payment uh, and you have a life estate deed, the, grantee, the person who receives the property still gets the property, can't call the note, uh, and you just have to grantee the one who receives the property, let's say the child, still has to make the mortgage payments. But there are no taxes on that? The taxes remain the same because when you, first of all, there's several different, well, there's several different types of taxes. First of all, property taxes. On property taxes, if you retain your life estate interest, well, it's still your home. So if it's still your home, the property taxes are still for, you know, your homestead exemption. And if you're over 65 or if you're disabled uh, or, or a military veteran, uh, then, you know, sometimes there are situations that are beneficial, for, especially if you're a disabled military veteran, uh, that uh, you get the same exemptions that you always had because you retain control of the property until you die. So the property taxes would be the same, same exemptions. Uh, and also, uh, because you uh, have a uh, homestead, uh, if you retain that home until you died, there's still a step up in basis. In other words, if I bought the home for $100,000 and I didn't sell it during my lifetime, uh, then the value of the property, let's say it was 350 at the time of my death, uh, my beneficiary would not have to pay uh, capital gains tax on that appreciation from 100 to 350, that $250,000 gain, because I retain control. Uh, as long as I retain control, then uh, there should not be, there's a step up in basis. So for step up in basis purpose, and even if I want to sell the property during my lifetime, uh, if you're single, remember the if you had the ladybird deed you were, and the transfer on debt deed, you could always cancel. Uh, if you're single, you could have up to a $250,000 gain without there being a uh, capital gains tax. And if you're married, up to a $500,000 gain without there being a capital gains tax. So if you have some property you've had for years, uh, you should also be sure and keep your records of any improvements made to the home right. because you might increase your basis. And of course, you keep the closing cost, which reduces the net uh, you know, sales price, basically. Right. So uh, keep the records on that. But yes, now things are remain the same uh, because you're in control uh, during your lifetime, and control for tax purposes is always usually the key factor. Is yeah. there some sort of control? So the audience has the accurate theater of the mind. They have to understand that you're not reading anything. It's straight from your mind. It's always from your heart. You're always there to protect your clients. 
and to save or make them as much money as possible when they're alive and when they pass away, and uh, whether it's the um, the beneficiaries or the individual who has the estate plan, either the deceased, that is, um, that's your job, and you're you are a superlative attorney who understands this as well as anybody, if not better. And that's why everyone should attend, listen to this program, should attend at least one of Michael's workshops in the last year, because things change, rules change, administration changes, legislation changes, state laws change, uh, relationships change, attitudes change, your financial situation changes. That's just seven or eight without even thinking about it. And there could be many more. And the next workshop, the State Planning Essentials Workshop, is Saturday, April the 30th at 10 o'clock, which is finally, after over two years of this pandemic, in person. And this is your opportunity to ask questions in case there have been those kinds of changes in the last year or two or since you've last spoken to your attorney or you've last attended one of Michael's workshops, whether via Zoom online or in person over two years ago. And Michael, uh, that April 30th, Saturday at 10 o'clock workshop, tell everybody what's going to happen now that they're in person again. Well, ask people what they want to know. Whatever it is that they want to know about estate planning or Medicaid, and when we've been touching on some of these things that have been related just a minute ago, we just talked about how estate planning and Medicaid sometimes uh, coincide. But whatever questions that people want to know, we ask, and every workshop's different because we don't know what the questions are going to be, although there will be a presentation on basic estate planning and things that people want to know, wills and trust and things like that, powers of attorney. Uh, but but we'll ask people what they want to know, and we'll answer those questions in that two-hour uh, free estate planning essentials workshop. To attend that free estate planning essentials workshop, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102, or sign up online at Dallas Elder. Lawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com uh, to go to that free two-hour estate uh, planning essentials workshop. I think you're going to enjoy it. There's no obligation. And if you do go to the free estate planning essentials workshop, we also give you a bonus of another free one-hour, no obligation, one-on-one -on -one meeting where we look at your situation even in more depth uh, if we didn't answer questions fully or if you just didn't want to talk about it with other people on the uh, at, at the workshop. By the way, we're doing this one live. The one after that, we're going to still do by Zoom for people who, uh, you know, prefer not to be in live for whatever reason. Uh, so we're going to alternate initially uh, to see how it goes. And but we're so glad that after two years we could be back in person. I, you could see me eye to eye, and I could see you eye to eye. Hopefully. Uh, we think the communication's better when people are in person, although I know that today is days that a lot of people do things virtually, and we'll keep that option open as well. Very good. And you get to give them a free KWM coffee mug, which makes us all very, very happy. And one way to thank the audience for supporting you and directly KWM by attending the workshop and letting them hear your expertise in person uh, or online, either way. Michael, we've got about three minutes left, and there are about four more exceptions you wanted to talk about. Well, I'm going to go then to the most important one of okay. all, uh, because because I don't know how much time I'll get to go to the others. If I can, I'll just do those real briefly. The transfers into an inter vivos or living trust. This is the most common thing that we see of all the different exceptions that we've already mentioned. 
pardon me, the the transfers into a revocable trust and sometimes into an irrevocable trust are they can't foreclose on. Okay, so if you have a beneficial interest or a right of occupancy in the trust, obviously a revocable trust, which is a trust you could always revoke or amend or modify, uh, you have a beneficial interest. You're the beneficiary. Uh, you could always do with that property whatever you want. So it's really not a problem if you deed the property into the trust uh, as far as calling the note. Now, it may be a problem for Medicaid, by the way, if you transfer the property into a revocable trust. You change the nature of the asset from being non-countable to being countable. But um, a lot of people do revocable trust. It's probably what most people think of when they have a, a trust. Uh, remember, I told you a lot of times in the in the due on sale clause, it says if you transfer to a trust, they may call the note, but that is not, remember, you're still in control. It's even using your social security number. So they can't call the note. And so it used to be when I was a younger attorney, we used to always have to show, we would always just show them the, the federal law. And then I got kind of tired after all these years because they would always say, oh, we have to refinance. We've got to charge more fees. If we told them, and then we have to show them the law, and then I now I just tell clients, look, it's if they have a problem, make the mortgage payments. We'll deed the property into the trust. Uh, then, if there is a problem, then we'll uh, show them the law that they are not familiar with or don't want to know about. One of the two, I'm not really sure. Probably the first uh, that they just may not know about. But uh, in any event, they don't really foreclose so much on those anymore. They're kind of accepted things. And we really haven't had a problem ever since. Uh, but the more interesting one to me is it's, it's a no-brainer on transfers to a revocable trust is not a um, is an exception to calling the note uh, or renegotiating uh, or foreclosing. But the more interesting one is into an irrevocable trust. Because a lot of times, let's say for Medicaid, somebody may want to sell the home. Uh, if I just do a ladybird deed, if I sell the home, it becomes cash and becomes a countable asset. So a lot of times, uh, and we don't want to lose that homestead exemption that you talked about or any other, any step up in basis, et cetera. So you, you could transfer or deed the property into a certain type of irrevocable trust that you retain a beneficial interest. If you have that right to occupy the property and it's put into the trust, then you will not have the adverse tax consequences, and uh, they cannot call the note. If I did not put that right of occupancy into the irrevocable trust, then they could call the note. So you have to have the proper language inside your irrevocable trust for them to not call the note or try to renegotiate. So as long as there's a beneficial interest like the right to occupy would grant, then that would... Um, be an exception and they could not uh, foreclose or call a note or try to renegotiate because it is a beneficial interest. And also, uh, you want to put language in any trust that we do here in Texas that it complies with Section 1113 of the property tax code. That's, that's why if you have people from out of state that have a trust, uh, then you need to have this language, even though a revocable trust may be good in another state, uh, we want to make sure you still get the homestead exemption. Uh, that you had mentioned about earlier. Uh, so you have to amend the trust if you have an out-of-state trust and it doesn't comply with the Texas law on that. There are many more exceptions to these situations when you're trying to transfer a home to a loved one or other. And uh, that's another reason to attend Michael's next workshop, which is Saturday, April the 30th at 10 o'clock, dial 
720-0102. Go to Dallas Elder Lawyer dot com from Michael Cohen's Estate Planning Essentials Workshop. Michael Cohen, we thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. A leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas. Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.